Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Good evening. Welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams. Welcome to my home. We are in the most beautiful city with the, with the most beautiful sunset right now, Houston, Texas. And it's just great to have you with us this evening. And uh, we're just going to be talking about some things tonight that I'm not for sure everybody knows much about it, but I'm looking forward to being educated. And I always say every week that if you just give us about 40, 45 minutes of your time each week, you're going to end up getting something that you can use the following week with maybe yourself, your friends, your family, or somewhere down the line, something that you may want to know about and can learn about and use. So in the next few weeks, I also want to just let you know we have some awesome guests coming on. So don't miss it. Every Sunday night right here at 8 o'clock, you can also just uh, DVR your favorite television show and come live with us tonight. If you want to get involved, there's two different ways. That you can do that. One is you can get on Shattered by the Darkness Facebook page. And my youngest son, Curtis, in the United States Army is out there in Seattle taking care of that. And he has it up and running, ready to go. I'm watching it right here off of the side. If there's anybody has a comment and you want to do it that way, feel free to comment right there. And I'll be watching that periodically. And he'll text me questions if you have any questions or comments about tonight. And there's another way you can do it is by calling straight into the wonderful folks at BBS radio station, 888-627-6008. And it'll cost you absolutely nothing to do that. And then TJ will just patch you right on through into the program. And you can talk to me and our guests tonight with comments or questions. Love to have you get involved. Uh, so make sure you have a uh, sheet of paper pencil or pen and be able to write some stuff down because I think you're really, really going to learn some things uh, tonight that you're going to end up needing and wanting to know for you, your grandchildren, uh, somebody in your family or friends. So just make note of that. Uh, I always like to start off every week. And this this kind of is, is the beginning of the show making a little bit of a transition of not just being about uh, abuse and things that like that that we've been talking about the last four years that we've been doing this program, believe it or not, it's crazy that we've been on that long, that many shows. But I also want to kind of turn the corner of also including health issues, uh, issues that's out there that we may not be aware of, something that may be able to uh, help us learn how to deal with when we're dealt 
a card or two in our hand that we're not expecting. How do you respond to that? And I, I have found out over the last just few weeks that sometimes the beauty of what's happening behind me in that sunset can be overlooked when some inner darkness comes into your life that you wasn't expecting. So uh, I've had that all my life, but I just want to kind of throw out some things that I've kind of thought about this week. First of all, I just want to let you know, you are not what's happened to you in your past. Uh, no matter how chaotic it's been, no matter how traumatic it's been, no matter how uh, disappointing or heart-wrenching it's been, your future is an absolute clean slate that only you can enter into. And you are not your past failures. You're not your past habits. And you're not how others treated you uh, at the time when you were treated, treated bad. You're only what you are right now and in the moment. And I think sometimes struggling with problems is just a natural part of growing. Um, I, I have grown so much uh, just dealing with the unexpected things in my life, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, people lose jobs. People get sick. People have accidents. Uh, people get diagnoses that they aren't expecting uh, and then go, okay, what do I do now? You have to learn from it. You have to try to apply it to your life and say, okay, instead of giving up, I'm going to try to become stronger in that moment. And it gives me an opportunity to see the depth of my strength, to recognize the depth of my faith, to recognize the depth of the relationships about the, around me with the people that I have. Uh, do they really care or is it just superficial relationships and they bail out when something bad happens to me? But it gives me that opportunity to become stronger because life is fragile, sudden, um, and life is sometimes shorter than we really want it to be. Uh, so in that moment, when I realize when things happen, that life may be shorter than what I'm anticipating, I need to take time to enjoy that sunset because that is a masterpiece happening that I overlook. So every now and then, when I get that realization, hey, wait, I'm not going to be around forever, that I need to pause and take in all those special moments when a child laughs, when a child runs through the room uh, and giggles and is just having fun playing in the yard or whatever, instead of it becoming an irritant, it ought to be go, wow, it doesn't get any better than the kid's laughter and start enjoying those lives, those times in our lives. And with my own children, I realized suddenly that they're not running through the house anymore. They're 30, 31, and 32 years old. And you go, wow, where did time go? And also, when those things happen in life, and then we're going to bring our guest on, I don't want to waste all my time with just these thoughts, but I need to view every one of these challenges in my life as an educational assignment. Ask your, yourself, what did this situation 
teach me? What can I learn from what I'm going through right now? What can I learn from the experience of what I went through last week and what I'm going to face tomorrow? And in that, it may allow me to communicate more clearly, trust my instincts more, express my love more, to forgive people more, um, and maybe learn to let go earlier and to try something new. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can lean in here a little bit and really get a hold of this. Life's not easy. And we're going to find out tonight how life can turn the tables on you, but you take that event to help change the world. And our guest tonight is going to be one of those very instances that I'm so proud of the way what's happened to her that she's turned it into fuel that has helped her become even a greater person, a more of a, a inspiration to the people around her. And it's becoming even a, a mission in her own life. And it's just so beautiful when you see people embrace that instead of push it to the other side. And when you're finally, when you're in those dark places, don't be afraid to let people in. I spent over 35 years with the mask on and not allowing anybody to see the hurt and the pain. And now I literally tell everybody that I, I'm in an elevator with, I'm in an uh, Uber with, I'm in a restaurant and they're sitting across the table or a waiter or waitress. I, I am proud to tell them what I've gone through and nine out of 10 times they go, oh man, me too. And we get to share how we each got through it. And in that we become closer and we each get to learn from each other. So I just love that. There's a quote that I want um, to, I wrote this down right before the program. Don't close the book when bad things happen in your life. Just turn the page and start a new chapter. I tell you, that's kind of what I had on my mind this week. And I journal like crazy every night. I sit there in my recliner and, and I journal my thoughts. And I just noticed as I was looking out, uh, looking back in the last three or four days, like, wow, some of these thoughts I just wanted to share with you this evening. It is my honor tonight um, to be able to introduce to you and to the program, to the listeners, some people that may already know who she is. But um, I am proud that she's on the leadership team with me and several other awesome people at Baylor College of Medicine and the uh, Department of OBGYN. But Christina Reed is an assistant professor. She has, oh boy, she's way above me, uh, at Baylor College of Medicine, the director of clinical research for the Department of OBGYN and the director of operations for, and remember this phrase, for Placenta Accreta Spectrum Care at Texas Children's Pavilion for Women and at Ben Taub Hospital. And in 2008, she obtained her bachelor's degree in neurobiology. I remember I took biology and microbiology in college, <laughs> neurobiology from the University of Texas at Austin. And in 2012, she graduated from Vanderbilt University with a dual, not just one, but a dual master's degree in nursing, women's health nurse practitioner, and adult nurse practitioner. 
and she has just been named the 2023 Emerging Leader of the University of Texas, and she's going to be receiving that award very soon. It's my privilege to welcome to the program my friend, co-worker, Christina Reed. How are you tonight, Christina? Can you hear me all right? Yes, Greg, I can hear you just fine. Thank you so much. What an incredible introduction. (laughs) I feel blessed. Thank you. Fantastic. It's great having you on. And I just appreciate every time we're on uh, a leadership team meeting that we have every two weeks there and you're on that team with me and, and several other people, Robin and Maria and Stephanie and, yes. and uh, Dr. Ferris. And I don't want to leave anybody's name out because they'll say, why did you call my name? <laughs> That's uh, true. Is that uh, when you start speaking, oh, and Tom, and when you start speaking, everybody just sits back and goes, Wow not only because of the wisdom that you have, but because when you speak, we all see your heart. And that's what I appreciate about you. And I think that's why I've got texts and emails all weekend long when they found out you were going to be on the program. And I just want to let you know um, the impact that you're, you're having on so many people. Tell me what, when you hit your feet, hit the floor in the morning, what do you want to accomplish when you come into that 10th floor of the Pavilion for Women Hospital at Baylor College of Medicine? What, what is it that you want to provide for the people and the patients around there? That's a great question, Greg. And this is something that I, I asked myself a long time ago. Why do I want to do this? Why do I continue to take time for my family and work full time, right, as a working mom? That's always a difficult choice um, for all women and mothers. So when I take that foot, you know, when I first take that step in the morning, I'm not taking it really for myself. I'm really taking it for all the women that I get to take care of. All of the women who had placenta accreta, that will have placenta accreta in the future. And I look at it as my opportunity that day to hold that hand of a woman in surgery and tell her she's going to be okay. I get the privilege of working on legislation for the state of Texas to address maternal mortality and morbidity rates to try to decrease them, not just in the state, but then on the national level as well. I take that first step in the morning for all of those women and those babies that might not have a chance. I get to help them. And that's yeah. what it me. When, when you do something as passionate as you do and as heartfelt as you do, I have to ask the question, has there been an experience in your life that has caused your eyes to go, wait, this is an important topic that needs to be shared, research, legislation done on, help with, take it the extra mile, uh, and really educate and help women. So if you have a personal story, I would love for you to share that with us, uh, what you've gone through and, and however you want to share that. But was there a side to this? You go, hey, wait, I didn't know much about it till it happened to me. No, you're right. Um, so as you said, Greg, I started out as a nurse. I became a women's health nurse practitioner and an adult nurse practitioner. Um, but during that time, um, You know, I had four years. I'm 38 years old right now, but I had four years to be pregnant. I um, and during those four years, I had 
unfortunately, so many different maternal complications. I had a miscarriage. I had preeclampsia. I've had preterm labor and a delivery. I had a baby in a NICU. I had gestational diabetes. And on top of that, I had placenta accreta. And placenta accreta is, for all those out there that don't know what this is, you're not alone. 99% of the world doesn't know, but they should. Because this affects any woman who has had a prior C-section. And that is about a lot of people in the world, if we're looking at it like that. Almost 40% of the world's population has had a C-section. That's a very large number. And placenta accreta is where the placenta that normally is the lifeboat of the baby, it lays on the surface of the uterus. And during placenta accreta, what it does is it grows inside the uterus and it works its way down and it can go all the way through the uterus and into the bladder. And when the baby is delivered, the baby comes out first normally and then the placenta delivers thereafter. But with placenta accreta, the baby cannot come out first because it's usually over the cervix. But when that placenta tries to peel away from the uterus, it can't. It's anchored itself into the uterus itself. So when a physician tries to pull or a midwife tries to pull that placenta away, it can cause bleeding. And more likely, these women have hemorrhaging, which um, requires the woman to have preterm delivery and high maternal mortality and morbidity rates related to these women. And why I bring this up is because, like I said, I had placenta accreta. And every day that I get to wake up, I get to work with the same team that delivered my son almost 10 years from uh, next week. <laughs> 10 years ago, they delivered my son and saved my life. I had a preterm delivery at that point. I spent almost two months in the hospital. And I don't know what was harder, Greg. Honestly, I don't know. Was it the, when they told me I had placenta accreta? Was that where that trauma was? Or was it the anticipation of actually delivering and having that C-section and then ultimately that hysterectomy so I could no longer have children? So in those four years, I had a miscarriage. I had my son, William, and I had Matthew. No more. And that was before I was even 30 years old. So to be a to have placenta accreta was devastating in many ways. One, my life was literally on this line. It could have gone one way or the other. But like you talked about earlier, about flipping the page, turning to a new chapter, that's what I wanted to do. I survived. Matthew survived. Now it is my time to take that control back. It's my time. I now get to write the narrative, write that next chapter, right? Nobody else gets to. And that's what I had the privilege of doing every single day with the support of my husband, Rick, with the support of my two children, William and Matthew, who talk about placenta accreta all the time, <laughs> which I love. They get to spread the word as well. My parents, Diana and John, Janice, they have supported me throughout this entire process, being a hand to hold being someone to call, living through those scars that we have on the outside, 
but yet living through those scars that we have on the inside as well. Yeah. When, when you have uh, PAS, does, mm -hmm. does it only occur after a C-section delivery and then the chances of that, or can it occur as your first born uh, without that C-section, obviously can PAS be part of that or no? Oh, that's a great question. Yes. Um, placenta accreta spectrum is called a spectrum because you're right. It can be your first pregnancy. It can okay, be your okay. fourth C-section. So those risk factors for placenta accreta, the, the highest risk factor is a C-section, any scarring to the uterus. But you can have a myomectomy. So women who have fibroids in the uterus but are wanting to um, be pregnant. And they have this large fibroid, but these things, these fibroids grow in the lining of the uterus and they can get so large that it just doesn't make the physical pregnancy actually happen because there's this mass there. It's a benign mass, but still um, they have surgeries where they remove this large mass, but it creates a scar tissue. And when I say scarring on the uterus, think about it if you're golfing and you make a divot in the ground, right? It has this like indentation. That's exactly what a scar does. And that's why the placenta loves to lay down there and anchor itself into that uterus. Another risk factor, unfortunately, is IVF. For all of those couples who are dealing with infertility, they're at increased risk for having placenta accreta. So not only do they have usually high numbers of miscarriages, and having to have DNCs where they go in there and they have to remove the baby that had passed away, that too causes scar tissue to the uterine lining. So these women, unfortunately, have to have DNCs, IVF procedures, and on top of that, have to deal with placenta accreta as well. And so that, it's unfortunate that that is what causes it. But people need to know this because it might change if they go for that fourth child or that third child, knowing their risks, knowing that there is a possibility that they might not make it and their child might not make it. So it's my understanding that if you have one C-section, the, the, the statistics jump up a little bit. And then after the second C-section, it goes up even more. And each C-section you have that the possibility uh, is more apt to happen? Yes. Okay. Yes, you're exactly right, Greg. It's um, shockingly um, how high that rate climbs up to. And so if they've had... up to like 60-some percent, I think, after the third or fourth C-section? Yes, yeah. exactly. And um, with the world's rate of C-sections going up as well, right... So as the world's number of C-sections increase, those numbers of C-sections are increasing. So we're going to see placenta accreta increase. Um, and with that, we'll, we also are now seeing maternal mortality rates increasing, not just in the state of Texas, but in the United States. So being a first world country and having rising maternal deaths is shocking. And I know, just speaking with the regional director, Lajavardian, you know, for the human and health services for our nation, she has taken on this issue and knows that this is a priority for her and her team. Um, and we work very closely with her 
to bring this to light, to potentially increase the legislation that's out there to address interventions to decrease those mortality and morbidity events for women in the United States. Well, with a country like we, we are in, it, it really irritates me when I see statistics rise on something that could be preventable. And because of that, do our, is it the fact that we're just turning a deaf ear to it? Or is it the fact that we don't have the information to even understand what kind of problem it is? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Greg. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> but I think that my job is to inform people about placenta accreta because we try in other avenues, medical avenues, to sprinkle it down to the women that are getting pregnant. My, my avenue of approach at this point is addressing it woman to woman, family to family, getting it out to everyone on social media, whatever platform I need to do to reach them, to inform them during their pregnancy, you know, when they're thinking about becoming pregnant, so they have an inf- they can make that informed decision. So what do we say when people say it is a scare tactic uh, to educate the potential women that may be becoming pregnant of saying, hey, wait, this is a possibility. Do you, do you buy that at all? I mean, this, it's not trying to scare people. It's just trying to educate people. Yes. And I don't think of it as a scare tactic. I think of it just like you said, as education, because most women want to get pregnant and a lot of women have infertility issues. If you told me, Christina, if you got pregnant, your risk for placenta accreta would be X, would be some number. Would I still have gotten pregnant? Yes. But I would have known what that risk is, and it's my control at this point. I made that decision, but I made that informed decision. So I go into this with my eyes open, not, you know, my head down, and I know the risk factors. And when you know what to look out for, we can prevent preterm complications that can potentially cause the baby not to survive. I have seen pregnancies where the mom has contractions and vaginal bleeding and it's pre-viable. So before 24 weeks, and there's nothing that we can do to help baby at this point. Now, could that have prevented? I don't know. It depends on the situation. You know, did that woman know? I don't know either. However, if she is close to an organization like ours and like others in the state of Texas that know how to take care of women that have placenta accreta, that have the blood products on standby, have the leveled NICU necessary to take care of those neonates, then she is known that she has to be close to a center like that. When we don't inform people, women are not close to these centers and they have very little chance to get help. Um, hey, well, we're going to take our only break tonight. Uh, and on the other side of this break, Christine, I want to find out with the world that we're living in, can this be seen on the type of ultrasounds that we have access to in the good facilities 
like at Texas Children's and Baylor College of Medicine, which personally I believe is the best in the country, if not the world, of the physicians that we have and the devices that we have. Can it be seen in the ultrasound? I want to find out about that. I want to find out also about uh, the emotional trauma that's involved in this. And then I hope we have a chance because I also want to talk to you about your work in the legislation portion of this. And if we have a couple minutes at the end, I want to talk about music therapy because that is absolutely fascinating to me. We'll be right back. 888-627-6008 or get right on Chatter by the Darkest Facebook page and comment there. And don't leave us because this, this last half hour is going to knock your socks off. We'll be right back. HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. I'm sitting here going through the text. I just have text after text after text of people uh, commenting on the show. One person, I believe it's probably maybe your dad. I'm not for sure, but he thinks that you ought to run for president. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Greg? That's the first time I've heard that from different people. You know, maybe, maybe that's in the future. Um, who knows? <laughs> I'll tell you what. That's Is hilarious. that not a beautiful scene behind me? Look at that sunset. Oh, that is beautiful. absolutely gorgeous. And how do we complain about life when we get a chance to look at that? No, so, so true. Important topic, Christina. Um, yes. Is there any early signs or symptoms of, so did you know that your body was doing something different? Did you feel it? Uh, was there any type of early bleeding? Was there any type of symptom that popped up and go, hey, wait. I think something's wrong, or did it totally blindside you with this placenta accretus syndrome? That's, yeah, great question, Greg. Um, have, you know, having a nurse background, I yeah. thought I knew everything, you know, especially as a women's health nurse practitioner. But honestly, I was blindsided by this. My first pregnancy, as I said before, it was complicated. I almost lost my life literally on the side of a mountain. Literally, I'm yes, that's a whole other story <laughs> for another time, maybe, but very interesting. But um, so for placenta accreta, no, there is zero um, symptoms before your fetal anatomy ultrasound. Your fetal anatomy ultrasound is usually done between 18 and 20 weeks. And 
that ultrasound is to look at the baby's health, but also to look at the placenta and look to see where's the location of the placenta. We want the placenta up and out of the way of the cervix. So um, my cervix was low. And prior to this, I had only had one DNC um, due to complications with my first pregnancy. So it was a vaginal, it was no, you know, no C-sections. And I thought when they said placenta accreta, I thought, what? There's no way, no way. I did not have a C-section. And I was not with the group that I was with who delivered my son. And to tell you um, that transferring to the Baylor team took several emails from back channels, friends that I had at Baylor, to actually get in um, because of a previous provider saying, oh, no, we can do this. We've done this before and not really informing me of the real risks associated with placenta accreta. I had to rely on my knowledge as a nurse practitioner, and I had to bounce this off of a friend of mine who's also a nurse practitioner to make sure that I kind of understood this correctly. And she was like, no, you need to go to Baylor College of Medicine. They have a placenta accreta team, and you need to see Dr. Michael Belfort. And oh, wow. I literally emailed Dr. Belfort. He saw me that next week, and it was history. I had on top of that, Greg, things called arterial malformation, arterial venous malformations or AVMs. And this is when an artery and a vein fuse together. They're supposed to be separate. They fuse together. And what happens is that when they fuse together, the pressure creates a softball or a banana shape and it's full of blood. So at any moment that could have ruptured and I could have bled out within minutes. So on top of having placenta accreta, I also had these AVMs on the right and left uterine arteries. So I was a ticking time bomb. And I remember one day I was playing on the ground in the hospital because I was in hospital for so long. I was playing with my son, William. And I remember getting up and my doctor comes in, <laughs> Dr. Shami, <laughs> Sham Shirzaz. And he says, oh, my gosh, Christina, don't do that. And I said, what? I'm just getting up. He's like, no, at any minute you could rupture. Just getting up from the floor, playing with my son to standing at any minute. And so I thought, OK, I this is very serious and took it very seriously. And you mentioned, you know, the psychological effects of having placenta creta. That is real. It is trauma. And I mentioned it early about I'm still trying to decide when did my trauma actually occur? And I don't know if it was at that time of diagnosis and complete denial shock or was it the anticipation of going to that C-section with that date of impending doom? Was I going to die on August 1st or not? I knew the date. I knew the time of the surgery. Was that the traumatic part or was it actually going into this nine hour surgery and thinking, am I going to survive? Well, and if I do, what will my body look like afterwards? Right now I have a, what, 15 inch incision that's classical. So they went straight through the belly button all the way down to my subpubic bone. I cannot wear a two piece <laughs> and that's okay. Um, but your body changes. But would I do it all over again? 
Yes, 100%. No matter what my body looks like. I have several scars. I had, you know, an arterial line. I had multiple lines everywhere all over my body. Lots of stitches. Lots of, like I said earlier, physical scars, but a lot of those mental scars. Yeah. So tell me, not only the the impact of what it does to you emotionally, what about your husband? How did that affect? Because most of the time, uh, mm-hmm. when you're expecting, it's a joyous, I can't wait. But you have a literal time bomb ticking inside of you at any given time. Like Dr. Shami said, oh, get up. It could happen. You could burst open now. How does that stress uh, a marriage, a relationship? And then with your other son, how, how did that play in your own psyche and then in your relationship? No, that's a great question, Greg. I mean, Rick and I have been together for almost 20 years. It's been you know, a long time. We've been married for 16 of those years and have two amazing children. So I would say we have a strong marriage. But yes, was it tested then? A hundred percent. I remember one of our largest arguments, Rick and I, and this might make me emotional. (laughs) So I apologize. But one of our largest arguments was in the surgery on August 1st, if that day, I told my husband, if it has, if you have to choose me or Matthew, it has to be Matthew. Sorry. (laughs) And he would say, no, it has to be you. And so we fought over this so much. And um, thankfully, that didn't have to happen. But it's sad that in the 21st century, Husband and wives have to think about, if it comes down to it, who should you save first? The mom or the child? It's sad that we have to have that conversation. But that was a very real conversation that we had. And the toll that it took on him just trying to keep everyone together was difficult. I was in the hospital. We had, you know, a one and a half year old at home. So my husband would have to work, spend time with William, spend time with me in the hospital. And I would tell him, no, don't come see me. Stay with William. He needs somebody. And it was hard for him. It was He was pulled back and forth. And for him to be our rock, our foundation, was really incredible. And I'm very appreciative of Rick for doing that because I saw that struggle in him. Now, whenever he came, he made sure that I had tons of um, Columbo and Murder, She Wrote to watch. <laughs> he made sure that um, he brought La Madeleine's and would sneak in some desserts because I was gestational diabetic. So I'd have to have some bit of sweet tooth. Um, so it was very stressful for him. And I knew that. I appreciate you sharing that because that, that I know that's really personal. Um is there anything that needs to be changed in our society with the way we're dealing with women and pregnancies and education and even the legislation side that somebody needs to stand up on the desk of the governor 
uh, of the president of the United States and dance a little bit and say, hey, wait, we have an issue. This shouldn't be like this in our country. What would those main issues be that you think they need to really wake up and smell the coffee? Because this is really important. Yes, I think the biggest thing that we need to look at is we need to take the top three and potentially the top five highest maternal morbidity, mortality rates in the United States, and we need to create bundles, like similar to Texas AIM has done. They've created these bundles, which is a lot of information committees to task out what hospitals should do to address postpartum hemorrhaging. And it's making sure that hospitals have the simulations run on a quarterly basis, that they um, have teams and that they have specific codes to address. So taking the highest maternal morbidity factors and creating these bundles to-do lists pretty much for all hospitals. So doing that nationally. Another is I could stand up on a desk and say how important postpartum is. I would do that. We lose too many mothers to postpartum depression, PTSD. And that to me is so sad because that is preventable. Birthing is trauma. Trauma is that woman's perception of trauma, like what happened. And so we need to address that. One woman's trauma might be slightly different than another woman's trauma, but they're equally traumatic. And so if I could say we need to address this, that would be my platform, postpartum period, addressing postpartum depression and PTSD. And one of those ways that we are doing that is with music therapy. I know you mentioned music therapy earlier. Music is one of those things that has been woven in our history since the beginning of time. We enjoy music for several reasons. What we have done is we have the first, or not the first, the only interventional trial that uses music therapy as an intervention to address PPROM or premature rupture of membranes. So women whose membranes have ruptured and the idea is to keep them pregnant for a longer period of time, which is healthier for mom and baby. So we're using that as an intervention to extend the pregnancy as long as possible. Okay, so you're, are you telling me, because I, obviously I love music. I mean, I, I sit here and played it this afternoon and just cried like a baby. When I get down, that's how I get through it. A lot of times I just play until my heart can't play anymore. Um, so are you telling me that music does psychologically calm possibly the mom or the mom and the the fetus is it bingo really so that is our hypothesis that is what we are saying we are saying that not only does music cause physiological and psychological effects to mom but also to baby we know that there are physiological changes that happen to babies that are in the NICU when they are exposed to music therapy. Now we're exposing music therapy potentially before the trauma, right, or in the midst of a trauma to calm or, like you said, soothe the psychological, physiological effects to prevent trauma to that or perceived trauma later on. We want to see 
low postpartum depression PTSD risk um, rates for these moms. So the idea is to first intervene during the pregnancy, and we want to eventually have a um, a trial where we can weave it through the entire pregnancy, including postpartum, to see those effects. Are we one of the pioneers on this music therapy uh, study or research of, I mean, are you on that uh, cutting edge uh, in the country of people, or is there another a college or university or medical school that's working on that too, or are we kind of creating it as we go? Yes, we're creating it as we go. We're the only that are doing music therapy on the pregnant woman. Now, we have partnered um, with an incredible group, Houston Methodist Hospital, with Todd Frazier. He runs the music therapy program throughout the entire Houston Methodist system, and they are incredibly good at what they do. They use music therapy with adult care. So um, uh, stroke victims, Alzheimer's victims, they have so much work that they have been doing. We, Todd and I, are good friends. And so we are actually neighbors as well. So we were, during COVID, talking outside of our doors one day and came up with this idea. And so Todd, you know, front-run this idea with me. And so we are partners in this, and we are actually starting the same intervention study that we have here over in the Willowbrook Hospital at um, Houston Methodist so that they can run the study as well together as a team. But we are the only interventional study in the United States for music therapy intervention with pregnant women. Then, Christina, I'm not trying to be selfish, but I'm going to be. Um, Then why would anybody want to go anywhere else? When we have this type of forethought, wisdom, research, doctors, I mean, I truly believe Dr. Belfort is probably one of the premier in the world. And we have a lot of those walking our halls on the 10th floor there at at our hospital. Um, I really believe in our team. Why is there, is there a difference from a county hospital, I'm not damning any county hospital, but from a little <laughs> county hospital in the the boondocks of Texas and making the transition to a major hospital at the medical center in Houston, is that worth that consideration, especially if you're a high risk for this type of uh, syndrome to happen in you? So great question again, Greg. So we get transfers of women from rural Louisiana, rural Texas, rural Oklahoma, and from other major cities across the nation for our placenta accreta care. Um, And people send them to us because they know that we will take care of them and we have very good outcomes. But you bring up a very good point. Why would that woman come 1,000, 2,000 miles away? They're completely separated from their families. And they do that because they know how serious this is. And their families are so stressed, both because they're far away, the financial aspect of it all, um, being away from your children from that long. But they understand the sacrifice. That entire family sacrifices their time, their money, 
and everyone comes together to make sure that woman is in the right spot. And some women, you know, can do that, but some women still have the constraints of, I'm a single mom and I have two other children. I can't leave them. There's no one else to take care of them. Those are also the women that, like you asked me before, what else could I ask for? <laughs> I would ask for a obstetrical dormitory. Dr. Fox, Karen Fox, and I have always talked about this, a dormitory where moms can stay, not in the hospital where it's very restricted, but outside of the hospital, but near the hospital where a nurse can see them, but where they can also spend time with their families and they don't have to pay for it. For instance, like what's right across the street, Ronald McDonald House, I'm, I'm looking yes. at the roof, it's just right here. Something like that where families could come exactly. in and stay for a time and it's free of charge. Yes. Um, is, is there any type of program out there no. that's doing that right now? No. Ronald McDonald does their best to accommodate us, but, you know, they're full a lot of yeah. the times. And yeah. their main purpose is children. It's just... Right where the pregnant women with children inside of them, it's just there is not enough being done for them. So these women are spending thousands of dollars on parking fees, on hotel rooms, and it's so stressful for these women. And that's the, yeah, family stress, community stress, the um, emotional stress, the husband and wife stress that you mentioned before. Now, that's another study that we want to look at is, you know, divorce rates with women who have traumatic deliveries um, or pregnancy. What does that do to the family? Because there are traumas for both the husband or the father, the mother, and how they deal with it together. Is there any type of group, uh, any type of funding any type of support that people can give to that would help? Because I, I'm not aware of any, but you would, you know, I mean, but I've never heard that for about from you. If there is, is there any kind of groups that out there we can help support in this realm? There is one that is incredible. The National Akrita Foundation. The National Akrita Foundation was started by Placenta Akrita survivors. And they're absolutely incredible. We work with them all the time on projects, research projects, community advocacy projects. We're working right now to take what we've done with the state of Texas. We are trying to kind of mimic what we have done in the legislation and apply that to California so that California can have maternal levels of care similar to Texas and how they level women's hospitals um, and then integrating placenta accreta like we have done here in the state of Texas, but in California. So that is an absolutely incredible group. They can write stories. They hook up um, survivors with newly diagnosed women. So I support them 100%. That's great. Uh, we only have like a minute or two, but I do want to talk about the legislation, the Texas uh, HB 1164 that you worked so hard on and you was right there uh preaching at our legislatures and telling them what, the, you know, you and several other people at our hospital. What what did that do in a nutshell and what was passed that you got all so excited about and we celebrated with you and everybody on the team with that? What was that all about and why was that important? Yes, yeah, so House Bill 1164 um, started um, as a bill to integrate placenta accreta 
checklist in, in terms of um, integrating simulation um, trainings, integrating that the maternal levels of care hospitals had to have placenta creta teams. They had to be at the bedside within a certain amount of time. It just helped get patients from those rural areas into centers of excellence or hospitals, levels three and four, that are ready and prepared to take care of these women. So it's allowing insurance to pay for that transportation to our hospitals so that any woman in the state of Texas, no matter what her zip code is, no matter what her insurance, race or, race or ethnicity, can expect to have the same quality of health care and that they can have the best outcomes for placenta accreta here in the state of Texas. So really it was to address maternal morbidity and mortality rates in Texas. Because PAS is such a high factor in that, we wanted to intervene and we have done so. And it was a bipartisan bill that was passed in the House and the Senate and um, Governor Greg Abbott signed it in 2021. And it was one of the, uh, it was the only maternal bill to pass that year. And I believe subsequently as well. So we are very happy to have had that passed and it was unanimously done. So, so it was a great thing for the state of Texas and I'm so proud to be part of it. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Christina, I cannot thank you enough uh, for your work, uh, for your uh, sharing your heart tonight, sharing the inside of some of the stories that uh, hopefully didn't, didn't upset your husband, but telling us a little bit what's going on behind the scenes during all that stress and trauma. But most of all, just living your heart and helping so many women. Thank you for sharing tonight and being on the program. I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Greg, for having me. It was a pleasure. And like I said earlier, I'm not here for myself. I'm here for all of these other women that don't have a voice. And so I'm here to be their voice. So thank you again, Greg, for having me. It was a pleasure. Anytime. It's an honor to work with you each and every day. And I appreciate that. Christina, thank you so thank much. You. Come back again, thank will you? I will. Okay. Thank, thank you, you so much. As we do each and every week, I always like to just uh, close the program, letting you know that no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've endured, no matter how good or bad your past has been, no matter what you've experienced this very day, and no matter what you're going to face tomorrow morning when you head to the office or you wake your kids up and everything just goes to hell in a handbasket, I want to let you know, no matter what, no matter what, there's always hope. There's always hope. And there's always people like Christina that care enough to go the extra mile because of something that happened to them that has put the fire underneath them to make sure that when it happens to somebody else, they're right there holding their hand and helping them and making it a better community, a better state, and a better country, and ultimately a better world. Thank you so much. Have an awesome week. Don't, don't stay out too much in the heat and try to stay cool. But God bless you and join us right here. You will not want to miss next week's program. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-65. 25 or email him at shattered by the darkness 
at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station One for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.